another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man through the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Time to get tough. Or even if they don't dictate it a bit differently today, I am at home. Uh, I am using my PC instead of my little IDP recorder, so you'll get some better audio quality. You won't have to uh, listen to me cussing out any drivers on the roadside. That said, I'm going to talk about that uh, once I get done with the housekeeping. Before I even get into the housekeeping, though, let me tell you, today is episode 312. Today is Friday, November 6th. And that means that I am less than two months away from when I'm going to be able to be doing this full-time for you guys. And when that happens, um, I'm going to be doing a lot more shows that have, you know, the level of research and care that went into the production of this one. Today's show is going to be eight common medicinal plants that you can probably find in your backyard. If you can't find them all, I'm sorry. I found them all. I, I went further for this show than I do for most. Um, I went out and found all of these plants in addition to doing book research on them and internet research on them and things like that. Um, so I do know that they're out there, they're available, they're relatively easy to identify and find. My criteria today were that they be native plants to the United States, that they grow in the wild, and that they're easily identifiable. So there's very little chance of somebody picking the wrong plant and killing themselves with it. And I'm still going to put out a disclaimer when I start the main subject. Before that, though, let's do the housekeeping. Number one, make sure you're taking care of our sponsors. Uh, Their support of the show is a big part of why um, I'm able to uh, soon do this full-time for you and do more shows like today. Sponsor of the day number one, Tactical Response Gear from James Yeager's uh, folks. Absolutely outstanding stuff. High-quality tactical response equipment. Just about every kind of tactical equipment you can think of. Uh, Great training DVDs you should check out as well. And check out James's other site. Uh, additionally, for on-site tactical shooting and training, some of the best training that's available in the country is available from James Yeager. Uh, next sponsor of the day is Safe Castle Royal. Everything you need as a prepper, you can get at Safe Castle Royal. I'll put to you that way. Uh, food, food storage equipment, uh, solar-powered gear, uh, all types of things. They have a great discount membership. $29, you get a lifetime discount membership with big discounts on everything in their store. Hold on a second, I'll tell you how to get it for free. Next up, our forum. Make sure you're getting involved with our forum. If you get involved with our forum, you're going to get a huge education. You're going to reach out to other people. You're going to form relationships, and you're going to be happy. If you don't get involved with our forum, you're not going to get any of that. So get involved with our forum. Last but not least, if you think this show's worth more than $0.20 cents an episode, uh, if you want more shows like you're going to get today, Consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. One of those things is that $29 uh, discount membership to Safe Castle. You get that for free when you become a Member Support Brigade member. You get 10% off of everything at survival.com from Ron Hood's web store. You get 10% off of everything from our sponsor, Western Botanicals. You get about $60 worth of free e-publications from James Talmadge Stevens. Uh, you get premium video content that I put together. $50 a year or $5 a month. Folks, I'm making it as advantageous to you guys as I can. With that, enough of pushing my sponsorship. And now it's time to get on to the main topic of today's show in about three minutes. But before I do that, I have to say something. I have to say something because I get these emails. And sometimes, folks, you may get a little bit of a 
kind of nasty email back for me if you send me one like this. A guy got one last night, and it wasn't completely his fault. I mean, uh, I went out and bought a new camera yesterday so I can do better quality video for you guys. Real cool HD Canon uh, camera, high-end, uh, not top of the line, but for a camcorder-sized camera, about as, as nice as you can get your hands on. Uh, brought it home, and it had some kind of pra- crap proprietary software. Couldn't get it to work. Fortunately, Shannon Appleby, who's been my tech support on AV, uh, clued me into getting the new version of Vegas. I'm going to do that. It handles these new weird VF294 or whatever kind of files they are, and uh, it's going to work out. But I had been frustrating myself with it because I wanted to do a video yesterday with it to try it out. Got wireless microphones. Um, so that my audio is better for you guys. Like some of you guys said, the, the wind's loud or it's hard to hear me or it's echoey. All that stuff's going to be gone. But I had frustrated myself with this thing for like three hours. And I get this email from this guy and it went something like this. I'm going to tell you my life story in 5,000 words. And he started telling me where he was born. And I, I like that. I don't want to pick on the guy. I think it's cool when you guys do that. But, you know, it was like one, two, three, four in a numbered list. And like three was, I find the shows that are least enjoyable and useful to me are the ones that are on politics and economic forecasts, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm really put off by when you scream at a driver and I think it hurts your reputation and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you something, folks. Uh, Just to be honest with you, do you know how this show got the way it did? It got the way it did by you guys sharing it and you guys supporting me and by me being myself. So if you send me an email like that, I'm going to read it. I'm probably not going to change the show. If you send me suggestions of what I can add to uh, make the show better or things like that, I'll try to do it. But when you, when you whine about something that I do that you don't like, I'm probably not going to do it. If you send it to me on a day where I'm fighting software, I might email you back and tell you to go screw, or like I did last night, not really tell you to go screw, but just a little bit of a, you know what, let me put it to you this way. When I stop yelling at drivers, I get people saying, Jack, why don't you yell at drivers? I like it. When I yell at drivers, I get people to say, Jack, why do you got to do that? You sound so aggressive and mean. And then if I talk about politics, I get people, I don't really like politics or economics. And if I don't talk about it, I wish you'd do more shows on politics or economics. I can't please everybody at the same time. It's a podcast. If an episode's not your cup of tea, don't listen to that one and listen to the next one. If I'm talking about something, especially a listener show, right? this came after a listen. I'm sure it was the, the one political question in the listener show that brought this up. Right. Um, fast forward through it. It's a podcast. It's not live radio. You get entertainment on demand and education on demand. You're picking choose what you want. But I have learned from the old proverb, try to make everyone happy and you will end up with your ass being soaking wet. Is that how it goes? I'm not sure. It was something about a guy and a kid and a, and a donkey. And the do- guy rides the donkey and uh, all the people see the, do- the guy riding the donkey and say, look at the, look at the old man riding the donkey making the kid walk. So the kid rides the donkey and they go, look at the kid making the old man walk. So both of them get off the donkey and lead the donkey and everybody says, you know, why, why are these people so stupid they don't ride their donkey? And somehow the donkey ends up in the water at the end. I, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I can't please everybody. And I'm not going to try to please everybody, at least not at the same time. So just wanted to say that, get that out of my system today. Not really a rant, just how I'm feeling today and why you might get something like that and you got to find out about the cool new equipment where I'm going to be doing better better quality video for you and it is equipment I'll be using both for uh, the premium video content and the stuff on YouTube but let's get into the topic of today's show again these are eight medicinal plants that are you know commonly available throughout huge portions of the United States most of them are available from you know, like Canada down to Florida and west at least to Texas if not further out and a lot of them maybe are not available in that kind of desert section 
But as you move further out to the West Coast, a lot of them have been transplanted out there, so they're available there as well. All right, so a couple things about this before I give you these plants. Number one, there's only eight. Don't flame me and go, oh, I can't believe you didn't say fill in the blank, because there's only eight. Right? Uh, so I'm going to be doing a lot of these shows. Eventually, I'm going to end up with about 40 different plants, each with different kind of criteria around it. The next one I might do might be all plants that are now growing wild in the United States but are not native plants. They're all imports. Uh, garlic would be one I left out today. How can you leave garlic out? Garlic's not native to the United States. Um, lamb's quarters would be another, actually not just an edible but a very good medicinal plant, not native to the United States. So they'll go later. Uh, number two, um, this is not get this stuff, go out and start consuming it in massive quantities with no thought. Please make sure you identify things properly. Please get additional information about these items. Please try them in small quantities first. And please use your brain because I'm not responsible if you go out and eat something that's poisonous after today's show and get sick or die. All right, so this is information that you get to use uh, on your road toward a self-education about medicinal plants. All right, I don't have any pictures. I'm not on video. I can't show you this stuff today. So it's up to you to get the identification portion right. That said, I went for easy to identify things, and I only suggested using parts of these plants that are proven safe and are not considered to be dangerous. The first one is elderberry, for example, and there's a lot that can be done with the bark and the root, but in excessive quantities, it has toxic properties. And, because, and the same with the leaves. So there are medicinal uses of the roots, the bark, and the leaf of the elderberry plant that I will not talk about today, not because I don't know about them, but because there is risk associated with them. So if you stick to what I'm telling you today and you use small quantities and you test things at first, you're not going to have any safety issues. That's why I picked these eight plants and these parts of those plants. The next thing is I don't want you to start using what we talked about last week when I had Dr. Kyle on um, about uh, Dr. Kyle Christensen from Western Botanicals, uh, what's considered replacement ideology, which means I have a headache, so I will go out and take willow bark and just leave it at that. Uh, if you have a headache and uh, you don't have any aspirin available and there's willow around, uh, using some willow bark boiled in a tea actually may be very beneficial to your headache. It probably won't work as fast as aspirin, but it'll probably work. But it's one-dimensional thinking. I want you to start as you're educating yourself on using medicinal plants to start understanding what they do, understanding ways to combine them, understanding the properties of them, things like what astringent means, and I'll talk about that in just a second. And understanding that if you combine certain things, you actually negate effects, or if you combine things, you enhance effects. So if two things are good for a sore throat, they may or may not work well together. And how do you find out? In a lot of instances, you do it by trial. And as long as you're using safe plants, you can try things and see what kind of a response you get. And always remember, you're better off going with smaller doses first and slowly incrementally working your way up and evaluating the situation. Some of the things I give you today are things that can be used if you have kind of an upset stomach, okay? But they can also be used to induce vomiting. The exact same part of the plant prepared the exact same way. What does that tell you? That tells you that a small quantity has a calming effect on the, on the system, and a large quantity may act as an expectorant and cause vomiting. Hence, if you have an upset stomach, 
and you make a big thing of bark tea out of one of the plants I'm going to give it to you to give you to use today because you think it's a it's going to help the sore stomach and you chug it down you're going to puke your brains out so these are important things to understand we are not doctors we're not trying to take the place of doctors what we're using right now is the time that we have to learn about these old plants and to slowly become masters of the plants in our areas and learning where they can fill in the blanks for this using them in small quantities at first combining them measuring the effects sometime taking them when you're well and see what effects they have when you're well it's easier to determine what the effect is than taking them when you're sick because is it the illness or is it the effect one of the crimes of modern medicine to me is that they no longer test medications on people that are completely totally well and do not have the condition that the medication is for so there's my advice on that now let's get into these plants I know I took a long time on that but I want you to understand this and damn sure don't want anybody suing me over this so plant number one is elderberry now how do you identify elderberry elderberry has a stem with a white pith the leaves are opposite which means they're paired they're on both sides of the vine the same uh, they're also compound leaves which means they have one branch with multiple leaves on it they're not individual leaves and they'll have five to eleven elliptical elliptical shaped lanced leaves um, they're sharply toothed and uh, they have white flowers probably the easiest way to identify elderberry when it's in flowers by looking at the flowers white flowers very flat top kind of an umbrella shape and guys you can go to google images and start doing searches for any of these plants and find tons of pictures on them to help you with identification or go out and get a good book um, one of my favorite books for this as i go forward i'll tell you is uh... the peterson field guide um, for medicinal plants and herbs uh, there's eastern central region, there's a western region, so uh, you can pick up the region that's best for you. Uh, but elderberry, again, kind of a flat white flowers. Once you've seen this plant, once you've identified it positively as elderberry, you'll never mistake it again. In the fall, it goes to a blue-black berry. Uh, it's very staining. If you break one with your fingers, it's staining. It tastes slightly sweet. Um, they've been used a lot to make wine, so they have uh, culinary purposes as well. So what uses do we have for elderberry as a medicinal? Well, starting with the fruit, you can make a tea uh, specifically by mixing the elderberry juice in the tea with peppermint. And uh, that's very good for colds. And the concentrated syrup is considered a good cold and flu remedy in general. Now, how do you make a concentrated syrup out of elderberry? You squeeze a bunch of juice into a pot. You heat it over low heat, and you take a spoon when before it's warmed and you use a spoon to gauge the thickness okay of the juice and then you continue to heat it very slowly so that you don't burn it and you don't set the fruit pectin uh, make it into a jam or jelly basically uh, but a very slow heat till it begins to steam and you keep that heat adjusted you do not want it to boil and when the thickness gets to a point that's about double what it started you have a thickened elderberry syrup and by heating it uh, you'll remove any of what are considered some of the dangerous properties of the fruit the fruit is considered to be possibly a source of cyanide uh, if not heated uh, now I don't know if that's true or not but that's one of the things I picked up in my research but using that uh, either a hot 
extract with the tea. You want to use boiling hot water for that or thickening it. Uh, can be used as a cold remedy. The flowers are probably the best part of this plant and the one that gets overlooked because everybody waits for the berries. Uh, they make a great tea for treating colds. They're available at a time of the year when the berries are not. Uh, they've actually show, shown to produce a reduction in fevers and they act as a respiratory effect, uh, expectorant when used as a, uh, as a tea. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you have chest congestion and you make a tea with elderberry flowers, they have an expectorant property that helps you clear your respiratory system, kind of like Robitussin from nature. Think about that. And uh, the flowers can be harvested when white and dried and used in the future. When you dry any herb, understand that sometimes there's a reduction in effect but generally speaking, you still want to use smaller quantities because your your quantity has been reduced by having the water removed. So you have a greater effect from the same quantity, but the individual available components may be slightly reduced. So there we go, elderberry. Who knew, right? How knew you could do that much with something like elderberry? Well, wait, I'm going to keep going. Some of this stuff has so many uses, you'll be blown away. The next one is called American Mountain Ash. This is another one that I picked because it's native. Uh, it's available from Canada down to Texas and back, um, and, and, and probably a lot of the western United States as well. It is extremely easy to identify. Um, and maybe I'm colorblind, but one of the identifying characteristics are the berries. Um, the berries are always said in literature to be red. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at mountain ash, I see orange or orange red. I don't see red. Not, not in the, not in the sense that, like, if I look at, um, sitting in front of me right now, some of my re reloading equipment, that's red to me. Um, a can of Folgers is red. Mountain ash looks a lot more orange to me. But it's, so I call it a red orange to appease everybody. But when you look at the shrub or the tree, it's extremely easy to identify. Green leaves, um, and they're also a compound leaf. They have 11 to 17 leaflets. They're toothed, long pointed and narrow. And the big thing about the narrowness is they are about three times longer than they are broad. That's a good way to identify them. Uh, the flowers come in red clusters. Again, as I said, as the fruit appears from August all the way to March, so it's available for a long time. And, uh, again, this is another plant that maybe my description of it won't make it that clear. Go to Google Images, type in American Mountain Ash, get a few pictures of it, throw them on your iPod or print them out, and go out and look for the plant. When you identify it one time and you see it, every time you see it from now on, you're never going to mistake it for anything else. It's very, very clear when you're looking at American Mountain Ash. So what do we do with it? Let's start with the fruit. The natives use a fruit tea for scurvy and to treat worms. Now, what value is there in treating scurvy? What does that tell us about the plant beyond its use for scurvy? Because not a lot of us are running around with scurvy. It tells us that the plant is very high in vitamin C, because that's the only thing that treats scurvy, because scurvy inherently is a deficiency in vitamin C. So we know that we have one major source of vitamin C sitting out there in the wilderness. By the way, I'll throw a bonus in for you today. Pine needle tea can generally be used the same way. So if you can't find a mountain ash, you can use pine needle tea. You can combine the two. You get a heavier boost of vitamin C. What do we know about vitamin C? Vitamin C has great immuno, immuno enhancing 
effects. So even though American Mountain Ash wasn't generally used as an immune system enhancer, we know that it has the same immune system enhancement that any vitamin C product would. So if we want it to go and combine it with something else, we could take the American Mountain Ash and maybe combine it with uh, Echinacea or Purple Coneflower. Both have different, so now we're basically, you know, you go to the store and you buy Echinacea with vitamin C on the, on the porch or on the, on the, on the counter. Well, now you're creating your own Echinacea and vitamin C, uh, through natural means should those, uh, those, uh, commercial means become no longer available. This also gives me a good chance to tell you about something that, uh, that bugs me greatly when it comes to supplements and supplement manufacturers and uh, people that create any kind of uh, herbal treatments, herbal cures, uh, whatever you want to call it, and the way that the Nazi-like government and the Nazi-like uh, enhancement of that government by the pharmaceutical industry uh, treats that. I've heard from people that say, well, you know, this company or that company was nailed because they were making health claims about their supplements. And they were found guilty because they did it. But no one ever stops to ask, were the health claims legitimate and just simply not allowed based on the way our stupid system works? Let me explain that to you with vitamin C. If you ask any doctor what's the cure for scurvy, he'll tell you vitamin C. Nobody in the world would would ever, ever say that vitamin C does not cure scurvy. Okay? If I take a bottle of vitamin C and I put on the label cures scurvy and put that in a store. Uh, the government now considers it a drug, not all vitamin C, just my vitamin C, and I am now in violation because I'm marketing a drug as a supplement, and they'll come after me. Put it to you another way. Uh, pernicious anemia is a deficiency in vitamin B12. If I market a vitamin B12 product and I say um, helps, may prove to help, may, has been proven to possibly prevent uh, the onset of pernicious anemia, I'll probably fly. If I say, cures pernicious anemia, it's a drug, and they'll come after me. But no one stops to say, but does it cure pernicious anemia? Is the person making the health claim wrong because they made the claim, or wrong because the claim's wrong? In both of those instances, which absolutely I'm telling you the truth about, uh, the situation is that the, the herbal, or the, the, the supplement, the vitamin cures the problem, but we can't say it that way. Because our government is full of shit. Okay, I'll just be blunt about that. Um, and that applies to a lot of things. I know there's some skepticism from people around some of these things. Uh, let's go on with American Mountain Ash. What about the uh, inner bark and the buds of the plant? Tea was used by the Native Americans to treat colds, boils, uh, diarrhea, and tonsillitis. It's also considered a blood um, purifier and an appetite stimulant. So if you may, if you have someone that maybe is having a little bit of uh, uh, trouble eating, they just they don't have the appetite anymore. They've become maybe a little bit lethargic, and and they don't seem to have another real illness. They just seem to have that problem. Possibly a tea from this uh, this plant would allow them to uh, kind of get that appetite simulated and going again. Exactly what causes that, I don't know, but that's another plant with a bunch of uses. Let's go to one that's all over the place, and another one that you absolutely can never misidentify, especially once you've seen it once, black walnut. Black walnut trees, when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, were everywhere. They're all across Arkansas. I've seen them all across Texas on tree lines uh, and farm fields, so I know they're just about everywhere, uh, at least uh, at least from, from Texas east. Um, they're a huge tree. They grow to 120 feet. Um, 
they are really easy to identify, mainly because of their fruit. Uh, the fruit is a, it looks like a big green, what it is, husk walnut. And as the time marches on, and it gets later in the year, it turns to kind of a brownish and then a blue-black. And uh, then they eventually fall off the, the tree. And if you live in a, a place where your grandmother wants you to mow the grass, uh, you have to go out there and rake them all up and either feed them to squirrels or put them on a thing to dry out so they can be cracked for the nuts. Uh, but you got to get them out of the way before you can mow the grass because they'll destroy a lawnmower. If you touch them with bare hands, they turn your hands purple. And you can pick a bunch of them up and put them in boiling water and use them to, uh, to basically brown, which is kind of like bluing, uh, metal. So you can use them to, uh, a lot of the old timers with, uh, making, uh, custom made muzzle loaders and all would use, uh, black walnut that way. And, uh, we used to use them for our traps. We used to run, uh, uh, lake hole traps and conibear traps and you don't want them to rust and you can kind of brown them is what it's called. And we used to use walnut husks for that. So that's what I knew about black walnuts. I never knew that they were actually medicinal. So what can we do with black walnuts? Well, with the inner bark, we can make a tea uh, that has a, a laxative effect, and it's also an emetic. Now, what is an emetic? An emetic makes you throw up, right? That's what I was saying earlier. So you got diarrhea, a little bit of bla- uh, bark, uh, inner bark tea from black walnut may take care of your diarrhea. Uh, but a stronger dose may cause you to throw up, which just gives you vomiting and, di- and, and diarrhea at the same time. All right? Uh, so now you've, you've gone from constipation to vomiting and diarrhea because you've taken too much. So, again, you have to adjust dosages. And it's easy to add more, but once you take something, it's hard to get it back out. In this case, it'll come back out, but in a way that you don't want. You've got to think about this stuff. Uh, next, the bark itself. Uh, has been chewed to relieve toothaches. So you're in a situation where there is no dentist. One of the things that you can use if you can find some is a little bit of uh, black walnut bark. You're probably, if you have a toothache, going to want to uh, to pulverize it a little bit and make it softer, maybe even mix it with a little bit of water before you put it in your mouth. But chewing it is said to help relieve toothaches. Um, the fruit husk juice, which will stain, uh, has been used to treat ringworm. The fruit husks themselves have been chewed for colic, and you can poultice them, which is kind of to mash them up and make them into a little paste, and put them uh, on places with excessive inflammation. Now, again, you're going to stain your skin. Some people have kind of a skin reaction to it, so it's something you want to test in a small quantity first. They almost have almost like a poison ivy response if they get too much of it on them. Most people are not affected, but some people do. Again, small quantities initially. Uh, next, the leaves of the, the black walnut plant. A tea is used as an astringent. Now, what's an astringent? An astringent is something that causes tissue to contract, to tighten up. A, a tannic response. If you ever drink red wine, really tannic red wine, you get that taste. A lot of people that aren't wine drinkers that don't know what they're looking for call it a dry wine. Dry means not sweet. Astringent is that pucker, right? And what causes that pucker is that astringent quality. So in any type of situation uh, where you need to cause tissue to contract, which is good for wound healing, for instance, that tea can be used. And because of that, uh, it has been used as a wash on wounds. Uh, it also has a very insecticidal uh, property. So American Indians used to get uh, make a big tea of black walnut leaves and then sprinkle it on their bedding to keep bugs out of their bedding. Might be good to know that. 
Might be good to know that boiling up a bit of black uh, walnut leaf can be used as an insecticide. Because by keeping insects away, you reduce disease in the first place. See, treating disease is not just about fixing it when it happens. In many cases, it's preventative. Mountain ash, vitamin C, preventative. Okay? Uh, black walnut, insecticidal use, a preventative by reducing insect problems. We don't have to treat the insect bite because we never got it in the first place. That's the type of thinking that you need to start um, to, to get in your head here. Now, here, there's more to this, though, uh, beyond the traditional uses. The leaves and the holes have been proven in labs to have strong antifungal activity. Leaf extract has been shown in labs to have strong antiviral activity and to have a protect, pro, protective effect on your vascular system or your, you know, your, uh, your, your, uh, your circulatory system. And it's even been shown to inhibit some types of tumors. Um, there's also something in the leaves that is called juglone. Uh, juglone is a growth inhibitor. So basically it's what tells the plant, slow down, you're growing too fast, or it's getting time to produce fruit, so the leaves need to stop growing. Uh, but that's in the leaves. Now what does that do when you take the leaf tea? It has a sedative effect, and it's very similar to the effects of the prescription drug Valium. So a weak leaf tea, uh, you don't want to use a strong leaf tea, because there's other things those leaves do other than that calming effect again, but a weak leaf tea from black walnut can have a calming, set, calming sedative effect to someone that may be in a situation where they need to be calmed down. Add a shot of whiskey to that, maybe. I don't know. But, um, again, think of how many uses that we have there. We've got the inner bark, the bark, the fruit husk, the, the, the husk itself, the leaf, and all of these things from something as simple as a black walnut. And then I gave you all these other practical uses for black walnut. And then the beauty of it, the walnuts themselves are edible. Uh, they're a pain to open, but I can tell you how to do that. You get a big, heavy piece of oak plank, uh, at least two inches thick so it won't split. You drill a hole in it about the size of a black walnut, only about halfway through it, and uh, you make that hole taper toward the bottom. So you have a block of wood in front of you with a, a halfway drilled hole through it the size of the walnut without the husk. You let the husk dry off, and you put them out on a, on a kind of a grate to do that. You put the walnut in that hole with the pointed end up, and you smack it with a hammer and it splits right in half. That's how you get a black walnut open. So you've got food. You've got a wonderful wood. Uh, if you trim your walnut trees, the wood is great. Uh, if, it's, if, it's, if it's big enough trimmings to use to make things like uh, pistol grips, knife handles, if it's not suitable for that, it's a great firewood. You cut the whole tree down, black walnut is beautiful wood. It makes rifle stocks, fireplace mantles. Think of how much this one plant does. Right, And you've probably walked by millions of them in your lifetime if you live at least in the eastern side of the country. Next plant might be in your backyard, maybe not right now, but throughout parts of the year. You might grow it as an ornamental flower. It's native to the United States. It grows everywhere. It's called dun, 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 Black-Eyed Susan. Black-Eyed Susan, it's a, kind of a biannual, which means it, it comes back uh, two, two times and then dies and has to reseed itself. Uh, or it's a short-lived perennial. Maybe you go three seasons. Um, it grows one to three feet tall. Very, very easy to recognize. The flowers are yellow daisy-like flowers with a dark brown summer, uh, dark brown center, and they appear generally throughout our country June through October. 
Again, once you see Black-Eyed Susan, you'll know it. you probably find them at Lowe's or Home Depot. Not this time of year, wrong time of year for them, but from, uh, from spring all the way up until August, you'll find Black-Eyed Susans at just about every flower, pot, uh, flower shop out there. A lot of people put them in arrangements. So we have this flower that people grow in their garden that grows on the side of the road that people put in flower arrangements. Well, what good is it? Well, the, uh, the flower may not be really that useful, but it's the roots of the black-eyed Susan plant that have use. A tea created from the uh, roots of black-eyed Susan has been used by Native Americans to treat worms. It's been used for colds. It's been used as a wash for sores and swelling. And pure root juice, where you squeeze the roots out and get into a little bottle, uh, has been used to treat earaches by dropping it into a sore ear. Black-eyed Susan. Uh, more than that, and there's more research that needs to be done on this, in laboratories, black-eyed Susan has been shown to be an immune system booster and very similar in its properties to echinacea, also known as purple coneflower. So all the magical things about echinacea that are true are true about black-eyed Susan as well, and there's a lot more black-eyed Susan out there than echinacea. So I just thought maybe you guys could maybe use that one and uh, think about that. Again, worms colds and a wash for sores and swelling, root juice for ear infections, and immune system boosting properties that are similar to that of echinacea. Black-eyed Susans, everywhere we go, they're there in the right time of the year. Okay, the next one's going to be something that I guarantee you, no matter where you live, you've seen these, you can find them today if you really want to. They are the bane of the, the person that loves their beautiful ornamental lawn, the humble dandelion. So everybody goes, ah, oh, dandelion, I knew that one. I mean, everybody knows that dandelions are edible, and everybody knows that they have certain properties that make them good for, uh, for medicinal uses, but do you really know? I'm not going to talk about what dandelions look like. I think everybody out there can probably identify a dandelion. If you can't identify a dandelion, um, go to Google, type in dandelion, you'll find a million pictures, and you'll know what they look like. But what do we use them for? Let's start out with what the roots are used for. Uh, the roots are uh, used in a variety of ways, be they uh, simply ground up and consumed or made into a tea or used with alcohol to create an extract. There's a million ways to prepare them. Um, but they're used to treat gallbladder, kidney, and bladder ailments. Again, gallbladder, kidney, and bladder ailments. Also useful is a booster for weak or impaired digestion or for constipation. So if you're having trouble with digestion or you're having trouble with occasional constipation, instead of using something uh, very radical and very hard on the system, simply using a bit of dandelion root can have a, a, a gentle effect on that and be quite corrective. Uh, the dried root is considered weaker in effect. Remember I talked about that earlier because it loses some of its effect. And because it's weaker and you aren't going to cause a, a big problem with it, it's often used as a coffee substitute. You take dried uh, dandelion root and uh, you roast it till it's brown. You grind it up and you brew it just like coffee. Now, if you really want to kind of uh, to make a better coffee substitute, do the same thing with chicory root combine them in equal parts and you get a really nice coffee substitute and the other thing you can do is take some white acorn uh, and peel the white acorn, take the shells off them, peel all of the tannin off the white acorn so you have just the center of the nuts, pound those up, uh, roast those to a brown uh, and then combine those and do about one, let's, let's say two parts um, uh, dandelion root, two parts chicory root and one part um, uh, uh, a, a roasted acorn 
And that makes a really nice coffee substitute. It'll also help keep you regular, so to speak, because it still has uh, all of those things uh, aid with digestion and aid with uh, regularity, so to speak, if you have any type of constipation. Uh, if you're a coffee drinker, you know that generally coffee kind of stimulates those things as well. I want to be gross about it, but you get the point. The root is also hypoglycemic. Now, what is hypoglycemic? Well, in general, we think of it as a bad thing. If a person is hypoglycemic in their state, that means that they don't have enough blood sugar. Their sugar level is down. It's kind of the opposite of typical diabetes problems. Now, diabetics can have hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia. They can go either way with this, and both of them are bad in that situation. But basically, the basic definition of hypoglycemic is under-sweet blood, blood that does not have enough sugar in it. So dandelion is not going to make your blood sugar crash, but what it will actually do with that property is help to control your blood sugar. So it's actually been quite effective for people that have type 2 diabetes or occasionally get high blood sugar but don't have diabetes for other reasons. In other words, it's a good regulator of blood sugar. Really cool to know, right? Um, it's also a weak antibiotic, but it works fairly good against yeast infections, including the yeast infections that women generally deal with with candidia. Um, Further, it stimulates the flow of bile and promotes weight loss. Now, stimulating the flow of bile, to me, means that it may be, and I say may because I really don't know, it may be useful uh, to help with pancreatic health, and one of the biggest killers in the world, once you get it, is pancreatic cancer. So anything that's good for the pancreas, to me, may be useful for um, stimulating pancreatic health and helping maybe to stave off pancreatic cancer, which of all the things out there in the world that you can contract, that's one of the things I really don't ever want to get. It just took from us one of uh, one of our best actors out there, Patrick Swayze, well-known in our community for uh, that very old movie and something that a lot of us really love watching, even though it's not very realistic, Red Dawn. Um, next, the leaves and the flowers. They're hugely rich in vitamin A. Um, so anything that's enhanced by having vitamin A can be enhanced by using the leaves and the flowers in whatever way that you come up with. Uh, the, the leaves are considered edible and a food source, so people can eat dandelion. Uh, the leaf is used commercially in Germany to treat the loss of appetite and feeling overly full or overly flatulent. So when I say improved in Germany, I mean German doctors are prescribing dandelion leaf for that bloated feeling or flatulent feeling. But there's, there's, also, there's almost too many uses to list here. The flowers can be used to make wine. So you take the flowers and you use them with some sugar and maybe some other adjuncts, and uh, you extract their essence, and they make a wonderful light white table wine. The roots can be also used to produce a wine, and it's a lot like a dry sherry. The leaves of the older plants, when they get a lot of solar exposure out in that great big field, they're really bitter. So the only way to eat those leaves is to remedy that by boiling them, drain the water, and boil them a second time and consuming them as a pot herb. But if you pick really young leaves that are in shaded areas, they're a lot less bitter and they're often edible raw. Uh, even that way, to me, dandelion's quite bitter um, if you eat it straight. But if I take something like uh, a good handful of those dandelion leaves and combine them in a salad with lettuce from my garden, maybe some ruby red, and uh, some arugula 
and some uh, basic romaine, and I put that together. Then they become quite palatable because they're playing off of each other. You can also do what I consider a, a method of blanching them, uh, which will take a lot of the bitterness out of them. And what you do is you find young dan- a young dandelion plant, and you go out and you get a flower pot, one with holes in the bottom so some light gets through, and just set that pot upside down on top of that plant for about two days. It'll continue to grow out because there's a lot of energy in the roots. It'll grow a lot paler. It will be a lot less bitter, and that makes a great add addition to a salad as well. Um, you can also grow them under shade netting, and that'll help keep uh, down that bitterness level as well. So there's a lot of ways to consume the roots. But if you think about how much I just said you can do with a dandelion, and the war that we've been waging on the dandelion, it improves gallbladder health, liver health, kidney health, pancreatic health, bladder ailment treatment. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, a booster for impaired digestion. It, it has a hypoglycemic property that helps control uh, uh, blood sugar levels that get too high. It's an antibiotic against yeast infectors. It, it stimulates the flow of bile, promotes pancreatic health, helps with weight loss, has amount, huge amounts of vitamin A, used in Germany to treat the loss of appetite and feeling overly full or flatulent. And it's edible. And it's everywhere. Can't get rid of them. We should stop trying to get rid of them. We should embrace the dandelion. Uh, next one. Tree that uh, you can probably find in most of the United States because uh, it's been planted as an ornamental, and a lot of people that plant it as an ornamental then uh, kind of dislike their decision because of the big seed pods that grow on it and fall off every year and have to be taken care of. But unlike the black walnuts, you could just run those over folks with a lawnmower, and that'll take care of them pretty well. Uh, this tree grows to about 45 feet, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. See if you can guess. It's got large heart-shaped leaves that are opposite in arrangement. That means they pair off uh, one to each side of a stem. Uh, they generally have three leaves to each node, so you have two pairing off and one at the end. Big, giant heart-shaped leaves as big as your hands. Um, it gets these long cigar-like pods on it uh, that have uh, seeds inside them. And if you break the leaves and kind of smash them up and bruise them, they have a foul odor. Right? Anybody know what that is? That is the common catalpa tree. The catalpa. C-A-T-A-L-P-A. Also known as the bean tree by a lot of people that just call it a bean tree because of these big seed pods. And eventually the seed pods open up and they kind of look like wings and the seeds fall out. And... uh, they're really an amazing tree. Now, we had one in our backyard in Pennsylvania, and eventually my grandmother made us cut it down. She didn't like it anymore. Okay, And uh, I see them growing around here. And I've always had this bias against the catalpa tree, maybe because I had to deal with all the garbage that fell off of it because I didn't understand what it was at the time, and because of the derogatory view that my family held toward it. But who knew? Who knew how great the uh, catalpa tree was? Apparently the Indians knew, as it seems they know so much. Um, one, the bark. The bark tea is used as an antiseptic, a laxative, a sedative, and a worm expellent. You got worms? Get some catalpa bark tea. Now, um, again, laxative is one of those words. So if you're not constipated and you're using it for something like a sedative... You might want to think about how much you use. Now, this is a perfect opportunity to experiment. Sedative. That's a calming effect, right? Um, You don't have to be sick to need a sedative or to to evaluate a sedative. This would be a great thing to try, a weak catalpa bark tree. 
at a time in the evening maybe and taste it and evaluate whether you feel any more relaxed or sedated does it work for you how much does it take does it cause you to run to the bathroom if so how much did you take before that happened gentle testing when you're healthy is a way to evaluate these things being very careful to make sure you identify things properly and don't blame me if you're stupid and you go out and do something you're not supposed to do I want to restate that. Catalpa is very easy to identify. And a worm expellent. I don't know how useful that is to you, but yeah, who knows? It might be necessary. Uh, maybe that laxative effect has something to do with that. Now, what about the leaves? You have a wound or an abrasion. You take a catalpa leaf, and it makes that foul order, where apparently that foul order is very healing in nature. You kind of smash it up and do what's called poulticing, and put that on the wound, and then use a bandage or something to hold it against the wound. Uh, and it has a healing effect on wounds and abrasions. The seeds are used to make a tea as well. That's useful for treatment of asthma, bronchitis, and externally on wounds as well. So maybe if you wanted to really see, maybe let's say, let's say you actually, this is a great way to test things. You go out in the bush, you're doing some bushcrafting, you're hanging around, you scratch yourself up with some briars. Now take one scratch, do nothing with it. Take another scratch, put some poultice catalpa leaf on it. Take another scratch, right? Uh, wash it with the, uh, the tea, then put the poultice on and then bandage it. And watch the three and see if they heal any differently. They all happen at the same time. They're all pretty much the same injury. They're all really non-dangerous. You don't really need to do anything with them. But it's a great way to experiment. How do you think that the, the that our ancestors learned how to do this stuff? Do you think there was a book for them to go out and buy? Or do you think they figured it out by trying things? You can be careful and not kill yourself like some of them probably did. But by taking the starting points that we know of and doing a little bit of experimenting, you can learn an awful lot. What about the whole pods? The whole pods are a sedative. And they're also thought to possess cardioactive properties, so they actually affect the heart rate. Uh, that would be probably true of any sedative. So the pods, the whole pods, not just the seeds, can be used to make a tea as well. Again, I would start with very small quantities if you want to experiment with and try these things out. Uh, but that is something that I've read about, and I haven't tried that one yet, but it might be something you want to take a look at, or at least know if you ever end up in a situation where you might need that, that that is potentially available to you. But again, I would say I don't want to be in an emergency situation relying on this stuff. I would like to test these things a little bit at a time as I go and add them to my knowledge skill set and record the results with exact amounts. That's probably one of the more important things that you can do. Uh, and if you have partners that you can do this with, the each try and each give your own individual interpretations you'll get more accurate and repeatable results all right uh, so that wraps up the common catalpa here's what I just learned about um, I was kind of embarrassed I didn't know what this tree was uh, when it was on our property actually across the street from our property in Arkansas it said beautiful red leaves and I went over and I looked at it I said what is that and I guess I'd really never looked at them in uh, in the fall foliage before uh, because as soon as I figured out what it was, I was like, duh, I know exactly what that is. It's called flowering dogwood. Um, flowering dogwood is a very widespread U.S. native tree all over the place. Um, it's not just the dogwoods that you see, um, let's say, uh, in ornamental use. A lot of the, the there's a lot of uh, breeding and selective breeding and 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 different varieties of dogwoods that are out there. There's also edible varieties of dogwoods uh, from Serbia and uh, and from Russia, uh, which I plan on making part of my landscape. But this is our native flowering, everyday run-of-the-mill dogwood. Really easy to identify because it has a great big 
uh, kind of lobed leaf, one lobed leaf. It's it's about two inches, I'd say, across. And uh, if you take the leaf and uh, you you, uh, you you pull it apart, uh, you'll see uh, veins that appear when you split it apart. Uh, the tree flowers beautifully, and that's part of why people use it in landscaping from April to May. It has four little showy white or pink brackets, and they surround the actual true flower, which is much smaller and on the inside. The fruits are scarlet, bright red fruits. Uh, they're dry and inedible because they're extremely bitter. It's not so much that they're toxic, they're just so bitter. Uh, once you ate one or two of them, you sure as heck wouldn't want any more, and you might start to, uh, to, to send them back up, so to speak. Uh, but what can we do with flowering dogwood? Let's start with the roots. The roots makes an astringent root bark tea, which again, an astringent uh, causes uh, tissue to contract, that puckering effect. So anything that that can be used for. Uh, it was used in the Civil War for malarial fevers and also for chronic diarrhea. So it may have fever-reducing properties as well. Again, that's the roots. The root bark, so instead of scraping the entire root to make a tea, just scraping the root bark has been uh, used in, in a poultice, which again mashed up, and put on external ulcers as a drawing agent and a healing agent. Uh, the fruit, can't eat the fruit, but what you can do with the fruit is soak it in brandy, and it becomes a bitter digestive tonic uh, for over-acidic stomachs. So if you have a little bit of... Uh, acid reflux, so to speak, going on. Uh, not so much because you're uh, you're having convulsion of that muscle, but just your stomach has just too much acid in it. A little bit of brandy with some dogwood soaked in it uh, apparently has an ability to reduce the acidic effects in the stomach. I wouldn't rely on a bunch of that, but a little bit uh, can have a calming effect to that acid response. Here's one of the coolest things. And I remember reading about this as a kid. I guess it's just one of those things I forgot. The twigs of flowering dogwood. Have you ever heard about people using a tree branch for a toothbrush? This is the tree that that originated with. You take the twig of a flowering dogwood and uh, cut it off. And on on one of the ends, you chew it until it turns into almost like a brush. The, the fibers come out. And that was the, the precursor of the toothbrush. So if you're in a situation where dental hygiene is necessary and you don't have toothbrush available for you, again, medicine is not just about treating, it's about prevention. You want to keep your teeth clean at all times. That'll avoid uh, having to knock your tooth out with a skate blade like that dude on the island did, if you remember the movie Castaway. Not the kind of situation you want to end up in. I don't think that was very realistic, but you get my point. All right, so it's not just about treatment, it's also about prevention. And then the last one that I have for you today, I guarantee you, you'll have no problem identifying this plant. Uh, they grow all over roadsides, they grow all over America. Uh, cultivated varieties are growing in backyards and farms all over the place, and you can buy the fruit uh, of the cultivated varieties in the store, native to North America, the blackberry. Now, I knew blackberry had some level of uh, a medicinal effect. And one of the big things that I always uh, did with blackberry, because I was taught to do this by my grandparents, was exactly what I talked to you about doing with elderberries, which is extracting the juice and then heating it slowly until its thickness doubles to make a syrup and using that as a throat medication, specifically doing that infused with mint. And a sore throat, blackberry syrup with mint, uh, great effect on the throat. That's what I knew about blackberry and that they were good to eat. Well... Yes, what else? Root of the blackberry, like many roots, produces an astringent tea. Uh, traditionally used for diarrhea, dysentery, stomach pain, and back pain. 
Um, it's also considered a blood tonic for people with boils. So it helps purify the blood, which is often infected when someone is dealing with boils or even just one large boil. Um, the leaf uh, produces a tea uh, that's used as a wash for sores, ulcers, and boils, and it's actually pretty good to drink, too. Uh, I, I've not found anything about it having medicinal effects. It probably has some, uh, but blackberry leaf tea is something that I would uh, uh, often make for myself. I'd actually really like to use a few blackberry leaves dried, uh, a few of a plant called bee balm, and uh, chamomile, and that's a very good evening tea. Uh, it's not really, again, a medicinal, but it is very much a relaxing drink and uh, quite tasty as well. A little bit of the fruit squeezed in there, and then you've really got something. Now let's talk about the fruit. The fruit. Uh, again, I already told you what to do that uh, with the thick syrup that you make, but you can combine that with any sore throat or cold and flu type remedies and use the syrup as a carrier. Right, so you get the, the coating of the throat and the calming effect and the, the taste that, that compensates for maybe some of the other things that you would use that don't taste as good. Um, on top of that, again, going to Germany, who seem to be a little bit more enlightened about herbal medications than we are in the United States. In Germany, the leaf is approved for treatment of diarrhea and mild inflammation of the mouth and throat. So, if you again, the leaf being used for the throat, so you can see uh, actual medical practice backing up kind of the folk uh, or native uses of the plant here once again. So that wraps it up today. That's about 50 minutes, and it's probably about as much time as you want to listen to me in any one day. Again, this is more indicative of the type, and I won't just only do shows like this, but I will be able to do shows like this from time to time when I go full-time in January. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about the project that this is part of. I'm working on a project which is going to be 40 medicinal plants with all the information I've given you. I'm going to be doing a series of shows until I get up to 40. Each plant will have a different kind of criteria. Again, the next one I'm going to do are invasive plants that have gone wild. So again, we're talking about garlic that's gone wild in the United States, which is an import, uh, lamb's quarters, which is uh, from, from Eurasia that's gone wild, and other plants that are not originally from North America but can now be found in the wild. I'm going to do one on plants that are commonly grown as ornamentals in the backyard. Uh, things that will be in there will be things like marigold, all right, and chamomile. Um, daylilies. So we'll talk about those as well. A lot of those are also available in the wild. And we'll continue to do this until I end up with about 40, maybe 50 total plants. They're all going to be put into a document. The document's going to have photographs of what the flowers and the leaves look like. And all, again, all the information that I just gave you. Nicely branded with a survival podcast logo put into a PDF. Uh, downloadable ebook basically on medicinal plants. Throw it on any kind of handheld that can read PDFs, print it out, do what you like with it. And what am I going to do with it? Member Support Brigade, free. I'll probably sell it on the site for between 5 and 10 bucks. I don't know how much. But that accompanying with the, the series of podcasts, I'm going to package that together as well. I'm not going to charge anything extra for because obviously the podcasts are free. But that's where this little project's going. That's the type of thing I want to keep assembling. More and more knowledge that's beyond you just listening to me every day, but having it as a reference and a resource. And again, all of these electronic things that I do uh, that are available by download, that once I produce it, don't cost me any more money to deliver it, free to members 
Support Brigade. That's how I'm going to start continuing to increase the value there. That is a project that's off through December before I'll be done with it, but I'm going to keep working on it. It gives me a great source of material for shows. Uh, it helps me keep myself focused on the big picture for you guys. And hopefully, uh, this show was interesting for you today. Hopefully, you learned something today. If you didn't learn anything today, if you learned nothing today listening to this show, if you knew everything I told you today, contact me. Because you are an herbal expert, and I want to bring you on this show to tell people things that that, that, that we don't know. Uh, because I learned so much just by putting this show f- together for you. It was amazing. And hopefully you learned from it, too. And hopefully you'll be looking forward to that download in the future. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off today. I hope you have a great Friday. I hope you have a great weekend. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you ha- figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Doesn't matter cause it all gets spent